it's Maureen. Uh, the episode hasn't started yet, but uh, the interview has ended in in our time. Sorry, um, but uh, we realized after we finished this, recording this episode that this is our two hundredth episode, and uh, we're so happy uh, that this is our two hundredth episode. Like the interview you're about to hear is so so cool, um, and basically we just wanted at the beginning of the episode for you to hear us cheer. So let's do it! Yay! Two hundred! Enjoy. Thank you all so much for listening, and and, and in advance, I guess. Yes. Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by the co-founders of The Voice Lab. I'm Liz Jackson-Hearns. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. And I am Alexandra Platas-Sulak, and my pronouns are she, her. Fantastic. Cool. Thanks so much for having us. For um, folks that are curious about that kind of thing, we are actually in your studio right now, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool and a great space. And thank you so much for having us. And uh, yeah. Thanks for being here. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, the Voice Lab. How long has it uh, been around? Kind of like what are y'all up to? So the Voice Lab was founded in August of 2014. We started by renting a basement in a church in Lakeview mm-hmm. uh, with a small handful of students and grew eventually from there. Um, now we have seven private teachers and a staff of 12 total in two locations. Oh, wow. Um, I think we serve probably 150 to 200 people per week. Um, so we're growing, we're growing pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. It's super fun. <laughs> wow. That's a lot to 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 manage. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those things, right, where, like, a lot of singers will be like, yeah, I love teaching voice, and I want to do it, and I want to figure out a way to do it. But kind of, like, making that choice to actually start a studio is a, um, it, it can be daunting, I'm sure. Like, would you mind speaking a little bit on that? Yeah. Like kind of I, uh, the process of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Sure, if I can take this one. Yeah. Uh, so, so Liz and I did our grad degrees together. Cool. And um, we, we both knew we wanted to teach and we enjoyed teaching. And so after we graduated, Liz started Jackson Voice Lab in one of its uh, forms. And so then, uh, after a couple workshops that she put on under this voice or this name, I approached her and said, "Hey, let's do this together because we work um, we work really well together. We have complementary kind of um, personalities. Yeah, personalities and working styles. Um, so I think I think because we had that team, because we knew we worked well together already, then we just kind of went for it." Um, and I, right, it would be daunting to do this by yourself, um, right. mostly because you know you're in music school. No one teaches you about business or finance or anything outside Sad of life. I got all those personal life skills that you might need. Uh, so together, we kind of figured out what this could look like, and yeah, basement of a church, some Craigslist ads, and uh, here we are today. <laughs> That's, of, oh, sorry, go ahead. One of the major tenets of our starting the Voice Lab was to provide like a simultaneous, uh, pedagogically very sound environment with also a lot of love and personal care for all of our clients. Um, Alexandra and I both started as super duper science geeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we started cool. undergrad, neither of us majored in music to begin with. Yeah. Um, so we both have a love of science and that kind of drives our education in terms of voice and um, providing an opportunity to foster adult learners, specifically in music, uh, mm-hmm. is one of the things that we do, I think, especially well. 
Yeah. So that was kind of part of why 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 we started doing it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I actually want to um, uh, kind of like circle back to some things you brought up because something that we think about a lot, um, you know, uh, there are a lot of there's a lot of folks that work in art um, where it's really hard to separate um, independence and artistry. Not that, not that. I always the thing the thing I'm struggling with right now, and this is something that like is a theme that I know that Scappy has talked about in the past, and we're working to talk about, but we haven't necessarily like like nailed down this what this theme is. Yeah. And so basically, what I'm trying to say is that um, kind of the thing that we think about a lot is this idea of building something bigger than an individual. And so that's kind of what I was getting at when I was saying independence. And I and I yeah. I, I don't think that. You have to lose independence by building a bigger entity. But what my actual question here is, is like as two folks that were like working on this independently and then coming together, what are some of the kind of um, licenses, I guess, or, or uh, abilities or, or things that you are able to accomplish as a larger entity that maybe you couldn't have individually? So much. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the ways in which Alexandra and I work really well together um, is we, I, I think we used to call it top down and bottom up. Sure. Um, so, uh, so my energy is very outward and very much like a textbook, textbook extrovert. I'm always coming up with crazy new ideas and just diving <laughs> in like 100,000% every time. And Alexandra is really good at uh, seeing all the details and figuring out the plan and making sure that everything happens in or the right order and at the right mm -hmm. level. So if either of us had tried to do this alone, it would have been stunted. It wouldn't have mm -hmm. been able to grow the way it has. And I think the same holds true for the team that we build around us because right. the team around us sort of circles this the central like vision and, and mission for what we are. And I don't think that we would grow nearly as quickly if it had just been even just the two of us. I yeah. think having a really great team um, enables us to to create that thing that's bigger that's bigger than either of us. Mm -hmm. That's so what like I, I think that that's so important for artists to consider is the idea that like of like letting go of personal pride and just being like Yes, this is, you know, yes, these four tasks I could certainly accomplish by myself, but it would take all day. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't I couldn't do anything else to further what else I want to do. Yeah, and I think the reason why I'm having such a hard time, like, with how to... Because the other part that I feel like is very much a part of this conversation is um, uh, it can... I think there's been a conflation of um, building coalitions and building collaborative spaces um, and selling out mm -hmm. to some extent, you know, like, and I, and not, the, you know, it's, it's always interesting, like, thinking about and knowing as many classical singers that I do that are like, I never want to sell out. And it's like such a, that's a, a such a funny thought, <laughs> like, for like, oh, you, like, you studied opera. Like, that seems like such a, like, space that you can comfortably sell out in, you know? Like, <laughs> right. That right. seems so, like, part of it. But I, it's just something that I, and the reason kind of why I um, think it's really valuable to ask y'all about this is that it also feels like you're very comfortable with um, displaying and talking about what it is that you're passionate about and what it is that makes you unique. And I think that um, that that is inherently not selling out, not um, 
you know, uh, compromising kind of individual identity mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of being a larger entity. And, I, and so I guess I'm kind of curious, because now I've just kind of like pontificated about this, <laughs> so I'm just kind of curious kind of like your thoughts on that, on that kind of like balance of uh, individual identity and working a, in a collaborative space. So I, I, I understand and I totally agree that being, I think especially a classical singer, um, we want to be independent. This is me. This is what I have. Um, and so we kind of float in and out of these different ensembles. Um, but here, what we, what we try to do at the Voice Lab is create a really welcoming and safe space where you can be who you are as you are today. Um, and that goes for our clients and students, and that goes for our teachers and our staff. Um, so that we we're all part of one team, but you get to retain your individuality. You're not forced into any sort of um, I don't know category or right. anything or like corporate culture or right. like perceived norm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like our perceived norm is the queerest of the queer. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that that's absolutely what we offer that is unique. That you know, we have we have a culture, right? The Voice Lab has its own culture, but the culture is one of, of absolute individuality celebrated amidst a collective of other individuals. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, one of the one of the things that, you know, y- y'all are known for is your, um, <laughs> yes, uh, one of the things that y'all are known for is your work with uh, trans singers and working with the trans voice um, and you know and what's cool is that you're very open and excited about your work with that such that it's like right on the front of your store like trans voice mm-hmm. and and I think it's so because I've been thinking a lot about visibility and about representation you know with the release of Black Panther and with you know A Wrinkle in Time being very heavily you know people represented by people of color and you know and so visibility and representation is very much on my mind and so I'm wondering if you could speak to the importance of visibility among um, the trans singing community the importance of visibility yeah Uh, (laughs) where do I start (laughs) (laughs) it's always a lot to unpack right yeah yeah I, 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 can I, I, can you narrow that down? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I guess, hmm, how do I, yeah, cause there's, cause there's a, it it is a lot to unpack. I guess, I'm, is, hmm. We'll start here. So (laughs) tell us a bit kind of what drew you to this work, um, and what were kind of the like first steps in this work? Great. That's a good That's question. A Perfect. That's a good <laughs> uh, so, kind of by accident, but definitely serendipitous, mm-hmm. um, my first trans singing client was at a different studio, and he uh, was taking violin lessons and started testosterone in his joints got really stiff, so he couldn't play very well anymore, but wanted to continue his music education. And the person at the sales counter that day happened to know that my interests are in voice science and that I'm a super nice person. And uh, so then he started lessons with me and he's also a philosophy professor and an author. Um, Oh, wow. So 
I was like, hey man, would you be willing to just like sit down and talk with me yeah. about gender? And so we had a long, hard conversation for me um, about gender, which was very amazing. Uh, and then since then, we just started, oh no, that second one. So then the second one was a referral from a speech pathologist. It was a death metal singer who had some muscle tension issues. So we started working uh, and then came out a few months later to me um, as trans and then our shift our, our focus shifted a little bit. Um, and then I think at that point it was just really obvious, like this is a service that is really mm -hmm. needed. This is a mm -hmm. community that needs a voice, um, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, what can I do to help? So. Um, well, and so at the time, and I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I guess I'm not, because that's, that's a weird pet peeve <laughs> of mine, is like apologizing for something and then still doing it. It's, <laughs> it's like, I'm not sorry. I meant to interrupt you. The, what I, what I want to, because I kind of, there's a specific, like what I want to, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, uh, 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 the part for, for, at that part of time, kind of bringing back to what, uh, where you were coming from, Maureen, what ha was the, like, uh, representation um, for, like, where, what is the options for folks to go to? Like, like were there mm -hmm. other options? Like, were, like, like, was that part of those conversations as far as, like, oh, like, do you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So the options are few, right, and expensive. So um, for this uh, singer who is a trans woman who had come out to me, and like all the exposure that she had ever had to voice work was all like DIY videos, people talking about, you know, just mm -hmm. raise your larynx like you're about to swallow or whatever, and these, you know, kind of potentially really harmful um, techniques, which I'm doing air quotes around. Um, so I think that to me was a really big indicator that this was a really, really needed thing, that there are so few experts out there who are talking about voice for trans folks in a way that is both caring and loving and influenced or, or educated by um, real, like, evidence-based voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, because I, I think there are, like, expert teachers that talk, that do amazing work that don't necessarily base their work in science, which yeah. is fine, but I think that's... Um, you know, that's a very interesting piece of that as far as, like, the availability of resources um, because it, it feels very much like... Does it see... For, as a person who's not worked in it and, like, at that time, did you know... Could you tell at the time that this is something that someone who had a background in science needed to approach? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because that was a lot of my research, right? right. In, in shifting the work with this client, it was like, okay, well, what can I... Where am I going to learn from? Like, where mm -hmm. am I going to learn from right. as a voice teacher? And that's all they're worth, that they're just like these DIY videos and like um, pirated videos from other speech pathologists. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a problem in itself, right? But, um, you know, the resources are, are within the trans community. And that really speaks to um, the history of trans health and wellness. Right. Um, that it seems like within the communities, the people who can be trusted are the people who are within the communities. Mm -hmm. So part of, part of our job and part of why I feel like it's really important for us to foster a queer environment here is so that we can liaise between cis and trans communities, between straight and queer communities. Um, because uh, finding an expert shouldn't also mean that your identity is diminished or prescribed in any way. Um, so yeah, I think that, that was a huge mm -hmm. impetus for us to really like jump in and, and say like, okay, let me, let me give you some, some real solid information in a way that you will also be seen for who you are and be heard for how you want to use your voice. Yeah. 
Cool. All right. So I, 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 I'm sorry to like keep asking questions, but oh, I, the the next kind of thing I want to come but to are is. Are you sorry? I called my own self out for that already, and I keep doing it. So yeah. I'm just very excited. So I guess the, the my next question is, um, what was there a moment in which you started kind of like chronicling the process of this, of these, of this work that you were doing? Like, uh, and obviously, like I think that probably that had to it was a big part of um what what came to like okay I'm, we're gonna write a book about this um but like I, I gotta imagine as a scientifically minded person like like it, like how did that kind of at what point were you like okay let's let's think about like scientific method let's think about like you know um chronicling process and and a trial and error I guess and yeah go ahead yeah that's a great question mm -hmm. Um, which has kind of two responses. So the first is a thing that I think often, especially independent singing teachers are faced with, is that we're really interested in doing all this research, but no one's going to pay us to do it, and the mm -hmm. structures to do it aren't there. Right. Um, so I don't, you know, we don't have the hours to put aside to set up like a real experiment, um, and the probability of being published with that and being able to share the information is not super high because we're not associated with an institution or a university. Mm -hmm. So. Although the desire to create a, like a real process around like what is happening with my students and what am I doing and what's working and what's not, the desire was there, but the structures around it were not. Simultaneously, that is not at all within my personality to do that. Like I hate doing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep, which is why we make such a good team. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And uh, I would say it wasn't until my students started asking me for like like worksheets, yep. like you're telling me all these exercises, but I don't you need to write it down. So that's really how it started. And then we started training the other yeah, teachers, teachers to do it. Yeah, and they were also like, this is all great, Liz, but it's all in your head and you need to spit it out. Having a back end, <laughs> yeah. having a, like, that's super interesting. It's something that I, um, that is very relatable to, like, journalism as a practice. It's mm -hmm. like, it's very easy to, like, have a conversation, and, like, write a thing or something like that. But actually having back end stuff of, like, turning the, the content that you make or things like that into things that can be consumable, right. like, that seems very relatable as far as, like, yeah, um, the, like, your work. Yeah. Do you have a question? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> What? I don't know. The wheels are spinning. Yeah. 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 So um, I guess I guess I have a question about just like a, a practicality thing. So in terms of the range of your trans students, are you? Um, is there? Like, so what would you say? Like, do you work with folks from like the beginning of their transition to like? several years like into their like fully mm. formed voice and I guess like what is that process like mm. you want to take this or you I want could, to? I could start it so we um <laughs> kind of, yes yeah okay uh, right. is, <laughs> is, is the answer. um no we well, uh, we've had a number of clients who have who have come and 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 talked with us and started taking lessons before they've actually done anything with hormones um, or socially or socially right or or transitioned any way uh, shape or form saying I have you know is this something that I can do right um, so we just kind of hold space for them and let them explore um, but then we also have had clients or Liz has had clients for years and years now um, and we do we work with with our trans clients in a couple different ways. Um, we have a lot, most of our trans clients are speech-based. 
right? That's so what we're I was ask. so we're working with them to um, either through right the dropping of the voice with T or or trying to find um, maybe some more of these femininely perceived qualities in um, in other voices. Um, but then we also have a lot of our, our our trans clients who want to sing too. So we've had um, some of our speech clients keep coming to lessons and go into singing. Um, but then we've also had trans musicians too who come to us and say, hey, I either want to keep my voice or I want to figure out where my voice is going through this process and can you help me with that? I think that's a really especially joyful thing when we get somebody yeah. who starts as a speech client and then like evolves into a singing client. Like that's fun. just, my heart <laughs> just explodes when that happens. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yep. Well, so cool. And that's like what the, what the art form very much needs is finding ways in which to bring people into it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, not that that's all that this should be about, but I th that's super interesting to me. And it's something that, you know, I kind of keep circling around to different things because, like, I I knew someone in undergrad who was transitioning that was a classical musician, and they were a classical musician before they transitioned, um, and I, and they don't sing anymore. And mm -hmm. so, like, it's it's and it's because I think that this is not a resource that, like, it's like exactly how you said, like the 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 funding aspect of this research it needs it needs that kind of experimental space and, I, and that's kind of why I love that um, it seems y'all have leaned into that as kind of a way of thought with this of it being experimental with calling it the voice lab um, and so I, I that's another kind of theme that we definitely talk about um, is uh, is experimentation and thinking of processes and works we do as experimentation which can be weird when it's in the arts to think about it that way, mm. but I'm kind of uh, curious for you. How do you think about that? Like it being a an artistic lab space, if that makes sense. That's a beautiful phrase. That is. We need to keep that. <laughs> I think you did this when we were in with the the Forte um, gals too. You had some little sound bite that was like beautiful marketing. So we need to come back to this yeah. and use that as our beautiful marketing. That was, <laughs> Thank you. Um, Thank the, you. Because I used it as a title for the article that we wrote about it, which was, um, oh man, uh, the <laughs> rad as fuck lady vanguard. That's it. That's it. That's it. We were going to get like bracelets or something. So. <laughs> Anyways, an artistic space uh, for experiment. experimentation. Now I don't, hear, now I don't even remember what it was. What artistic it lab. Est okay, yeah. artistic lab. Boy, it is that. Yeah. Uh, I, so so Liz, Liz mentioned this. When we started the studio, we were actually looking at teaching adults. Mm -hmm. And what you get from an adult student that you don't always get from a child student is that there is a, I mean, there's a genuine want to be here. There's a genuine want to, to be here to make music or to work on your voice in any way. Um, so even in and of that itself is so experimental because you're coming in, like you might have, um, I don't know, a 65 year old retiree who all of a sudden has all this free time and goes, I sang in elementary school, I wanna come back and sing now. Help me do that. Um, yep, so like on that, that side of it, Absolutely, it's just this artistically experimental place. And I think all of our teachers kind of support that as well. Like each teacher, you know, has their own hmm, philosophy and their own sort of experience, um, but all the teachers provide that and experience. And a lot of it is about um, making things up as you go and trying out really weird sounds. And like, let's, um, I think one of the things we do uniquely well is sort of digging underneath 
technical challenges. So someone who's got tongue tension may not have tongue tension, they may have some sort of like, like childhood crappy experience that's keeping them from being able to make sound. Um, so, so for us to, to stretch our students and stretch even I think each other as faculty members, um, there's a lot of that experimentation and it's uncomfortable at times um, because it's, uh, it really requires you to kind of let go of, of any notions about what singing should be mm -hmm. or what is right or what is wrong. Um, I think that's a huge part of, of who we are and how we work with each other. Yeah. So as, you know, as people who have been taking voice lessons since we were children mm -hmm. um, and through college, the role of a voice teacher has also been kind of a therapeutic role. Yeah. Mm. And like, and I remember like in college being just like stressed and walking into a voice lesson and, and all my teacher had to say was, hi, how are you? And it would just be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm wondering, I, I, and I imagine that that role is amplified with the type of work that you do. I'm wondering, um, kind of, what boundaries do you have to place yeah. with with the type of clientele that you work with? I think we're still figuring that yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. And it's it can differ from one student to the next or one client to the next, um, even one teacher to the next. Um, and yeah, we're definitely trying to figure that out. And, and also it helps with being a collective of teachers is that we can go, hey, I have this student and, or even like, <laughs> a student's mom, right? We do have some kids in our studio, mm -hmm. um, texting me about cancellations. I don't handle this. How can I handle this? How, what kind of boundary can I set there? Um, but then also most of the time, I think in a lesson, when you have those vulnerable, vulnerable moments, um, it's just so important to just hold the space, mm -hmm. right? If, if, if your client or student is experiencing something, um, to hold the space for them and then to know if this is something that we can handle here or if that's a, hey, we need to refer you to someone who can handle this much better than we can. Um, yeah, I think going back to what you said earlier about things that you do and don't get in a master's <laughs> program. That one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, learning about um, creating boundaries with students is not one of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for, for us, uh, because of our clientele, because we have mostly adult beginners and also trans clients, the stories that we hear from people's lives, I think, are different, right? Mm -hmm. um, certainly different than what I would have shared with my graduate school voice teacher. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've gotten nearly as personal. No. In that case. No. Yeah. Than as the students that we get are with us. So, so we try to create support systems around each other. Mm -hmm. um, compassion fatigue is a thing that we very much <coughs> deal with all the time. That makes absolute um, sense. Yeah. 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 So, um, so I think one of the things that Alexander and I try to do is offer resources for our fellow teachers to help them cope with compassion fatigue, um, mm -hmm. check in, like, how are you doing? Like, how, you have 30 people that you see every week, like, how are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah and what do you need? And we do make sure that um, as we schedule students, we, we make sure our teachers have breaks. You know, um, the other kind of thought about being that independent artist. I'm like, no, 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 I can just teach and teach and teach and teach and teach and it's okay. But then at the end of six hours of straight teaching, I'm mush. So yeah. it, it also helps to have this, the, the staff who we, that we do because they say, hey, I see you have a six hour block of teaching. Can I put some, uh, can I put some off time in there? Can I give mm -hmm. you a lunch break? Maybe a little bathroom break? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that helps too, right? So having the people see not just you watching over your own schedule, but the, also the staff looking at your schedule too and noticing that, oh, you, you probably don't actually want to teach that long. Uh, so that's one way that we mm-hmm. that too. That's really hugely important. Um, in, in the event of like somebody that you perceive does need professional help, do you have like kind of, do you have relationships with therapists and, you know, stuff like that, that you can, that, because you mentioned keeping a queer space. And so, yeah, I would imagine that it would be important to have resources that are safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We have a really strong referral system. Um, so one of the things that the Voice Lab also is deeply involved in is an event called Trans Turning Point, um, which is a wellness, health, and beauty fair um, geared toward trans folks and trans-owned businesses. Um, and Live Oak is the, the co-sponsor of that event. So we get um, have a lot of, I think, cross-referrals between us and Live Oak, which is also a really great, um, highly queer space. <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, and even some of our clients are also therapists um oh wow so i I, yeah i don't see any problem with referring clients to (laughs) other clients Um, but uh but yeah having a strong referral system is really important and for us that's that's that goes a little further probably even too so we have therapists we have um endocrinologists we have family counselors we have tailors we have um hairstylists we have makeup artists oh my gosh um slps slps yeah yep yep um ents Mm -hmm. so we try alexander technique teachers yoga teachers massage therapists so we yeah absolutely like i think i think that's one of our big dreams too is to be Mm -hmm. kind of a total care place (laughs) yeah we can just like (laughs) <sighs> for some reason the tailor thing really stuck with me yeah like the thought of a body changing and an outfit that you love not fitting anymore and like then having to go to a lesson like in what you've in what was once your favorite outfit and then it just it and then it just doesn't work like just being like well hey I know a rad tailor like yeah. take care of yourself like do that thing and yep. I think that's so cool well, and also, it really, you know, the thing that I keep thinking about is um, kind of what I've thought about in the past about pedagogy in general, which is that it is such a, um, it can be such an encompassing duty, you know. And I also, but I also think about a lot of what um, pedagogy is, I'm trying to think how to put this, is taught to be, um, which is a very goal oriented. Thing when you when it's uh, when you're in school thinking about pedagogy, um, and it seems like your work is very much not that there aren't goals. I'm sure there are, but the idea that you know I think of when I think of this, I think of that book of uh, common vocal faults. Oh man, it's the black oh, the and pink, pink book. Yeah, yeah. yeah black um, pink. We got that. Where it's like, <laughs> oh, here's ten steps, and then you're it's solved. Right. You know, right. and I, I think that's such a like. Um, and obviously, there are some great resources in that book, but also like that mindset to, to approaching voice um, can be problematic, and it seems like it would be extremely problematic in the work that you do. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually wondering that that seems to have resonated with you. Do you mind speaking to that or? Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, so. We are groomed through our education system to just advance to the next level, like learn enough to graduate to the next level. Um, And one one great thing about being an independent music student, sorry, music studio and student, I suppose, um, is that 
there really is no le- next level. It's just mastery learning, right? Mastery teaching, mm-hmm. which leaves it open to take as long as you need to really understand a concept. Um, but then what we also do, if you're ta- you know, you're ta- you mentioned the McKinney book and kind of the 10 steps to solve this problem. In real life, it's never 10 steps and they're never linear. You have to go three mm-hmm. steps and then back seven steps and a f- you know, four or mm-hmm. two steps and then go find another problem and come back. Um, so, so we understand that and all our teachers understand that. And then you know, if you get to a point with a student and it doesn't really make sense, um, you, know, you can't solve something, then you ask one of the other teachers, right? We have a teacher collective. Um, but goals, we do set goals for some of our students and our students or clients come in with goals. Um, especially a lot of our trans clients, they have timelines, right? They're like, I need, I need to be able to, to pass um, by this date. Um, which is, which wow, is, right. yeah, like I'm coming a out lot. to my job on yeah. such and such day. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that one aspect. Um, and then also for other singing students, we do offer other workshops. And so we push them to not just take lessons, but to be in this band camp that we have or to put on a, you know, a night of operetta scenes. Um, so we do give goals, but we allow the process to the student to really master what they're doing. And I think one of the things that is changing, um, certainly in the realm of considering working with gender diverse folks, is creating a student-led environment. So mm. I think for us, our experience was, you know, maybe like you get assigned rep, you um, get assigned roles. You these are the things that you will sing. This is what your voice is. This is what you're going to do. Here's where you're going to perform. Yep. And here's a little nice little pigeonhole for you. Um, versus. <laughs> um, having a really real back and forth conversation like here are the roles that I think would fit with your voice how does that fit with you as a person Uh Um, like there's a lot of conversation around specifically trans masculine singers and pants roles right Mm -hmm. Um, some are really comfortable with it some are really really not comfortable with it Um, so it has to be led by the student. It has to be like, what do you want to do with your voice? Like, what is your relationship with your voice? How can I help you to love it even more and to help it express who you are even more? Um, which I think is a very different experience than many of us had in, in other educational environments. Well, and speaking, you know, we were discussing singing resources, and I know that you two are in the process of, you. well, first of all, you've already developed some resources, both for your clients and also for your teachers and that mm-hmm. you're currently working on another resource. Would you mind uh, speaking to like the current resources that you have available? Yeah, so this actually brings up, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, there's more and more and more research out there um, about trans voice and it's very exciting. Um, it's also sometimes hard to get to. Um, so what one of the resources that is coming out at the end of May is uh, The Singing Teacher's Guide to Transgender Voices, um, co-authored by myself and Brian Crummer at Elon University. So the goal of The Singing Teacher's Guide is to amalgamate a lot of the resources that are already out there, um, to offer pedagogical options for helping a trans singer discover their most authentic voice, whatever that means for them, um, and to develop a a higher level of cultural competency within the studio, the classroom, and the institution at large. Um, So that's a big resource, and it's the first of its kind to be um, comprehensive all in one place. And I'm very excited about it. (laughs) And where is it published? It it will be published, it's published by Plural, 
Um, so you can get it on the Plural Publishing website, or you can pre-order it now on Amazon as well, which is super cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the other uh, project that we're working on is called One Weird Trick, a user's guide to transgender voice. So One Weird Trick is um, was developed out of, like I said before, the sort of the brain dump. Um, that all you know, all these exercises and things that we were using every day with our clients, and they kept asking, you know, like, please just write this down, just put this in a thing <laughs> that I can have in one place. So it will be in a book very shortly. I would uh-huh. say within the next three weeks. Oh wow! <laughs> it'll be out, and we're self-publishing, so it'll be on Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we just got the draft of the cover, and it looks very <laughs> swanky. Um, it's very exciting. So, uh, so with One Weird Trick, um, and then eventually with the Singing Teacher's Guide, uh, our intent is to use that as a supplement to different training programs. Mm-hmm. So we just launched um, a teacher training program for voice teachers to bridge their skills from the singing realm to the speaking realm, specifically for trans voice. Um, so it's a six-week course. Um, there's online webinars, and then you get follow-up sessions with Alexandra or me. Mm-hmm. Um, and our goal for that is to pass the knowledge forward in a way that's accessible um, and hopefully actually to expand our team um, mm-hmm. so that we can bring on more folks who are already competent in language around trans voice. Um, in the fall, we'll be offering a comprehensive singing teacher's guide training and also one-word trick training so that you can really get the whole picture of what it's like to work with a trans person in the entire realm of, of voice which is, I'm very excited <laughs> about. Um, but that isn't to say that there aren't resources out there already. Mm-hmm. Um, within uh, the voice professional world, uh, we call it the Trans Voice Bible. Um, it's a text by Richard Adler, Sandy Hirsch, and Michelle Mordaunt called, uh, Voice Therapy and Communication for Transgender, oh. Transsexual Clients or something like that. Sounds, sounds right. Um, Voice and communication therapy. Anyway, it's really great. Um, it's like 500 pages, also extremely comprehensive. It's really great. has a lot of um, different references and, and research um, uh, smushed all into this big book together, and we've definitely used it often. Yep. And we use it to develop our own exercises and um, curricula for our trans students as well. I'm always very um, interested in the publishing process. It's something we've had a couple folks that have published stuff um, on, and we always just kind of like to at least ask at all about it because it's it is very interesting and it yeah. it is um, it can be a uh, satisfying and weird and fun experience. Like, how is that? <laughs> what what was the moment where you were like, oh, we're publishing? And then um, how did that feel? <laughs> and like, can I, at some point in this, can I share the story about when you told me that yours was accepted? <laughs> it doesn't have to be now. Yeah, but no, but that's you honestly. Can, you can, you can yeah. go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do that now. Uh, so it was when your book was accepted, right? By plural. Okay, so mm-hmm. I, was, I was in the studio. I was actually putting up this corner shelf uh, behind me, right? It's very mm-hmm. l- nice. It looks great. Anyone wants to oh, visit, you can, I'll point out the corner shelf. <laughs> yeah. and come visit. Um, so I was immersed in this, you know, and it was one of those that has, like, three pictures to tell you how to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting a little frustrated. And Liz runs in, and she goes, can I tell you something? And she's just, like, yelling that her book was just accepted by plural. And I actually don't remember how crap nuggets came up. I think I just said, like, holy crap nuggets. 
Yeah, I yep. think that was and it. And there was like a whole stream of jokes about crapping nuggets and what that would look like. And, and like the cartoons. <laughs> what they would look right. like. If I yeah. was a cartoonist, I would have this whole series about crap nuggets. <laughs> so now that I think about this book, I mean, I'm really, I'm excited to crap nuggets to read this book. <laughs> well, like for, for anyone that doesn't know that, that process of like you put a draft together and then just kind of shop it. Yep. It's like a really... Oh, we really lucked out, though. I mean, well... Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please, please. So, Plural um, is the same... So, the Translate Bible is also published by Plural. Um, and we have some colleagues who are also under the Plural umbrella. Um, and Sandy Hirsch and I have become sort of friends. Um, so, in talking with Sandy about it, it was... I think it was, like, maybe a couple weeks before we were about to submit our proposal. And, I, again, I had that moment of, like, am I doing... Is this really happening? Like, should I, should I do this? Is this a thing? Um, and Sandy said... Um, do it because if you don't, someone else will, and it won't be as good. Um, so I'm like, all right, message received. So so Brian and I put together this proposal. We included some uh, sample text, description of all the chapters, um, bios for each of us. We had to do market research, which was really easy because there is no market. <laughs> um, I think we literally had like two books listed, like comparable titles. Right. Um, so that part was easy. And then when we submitted it to Plural. I think they had said that it would take like four weeks and it was actually like 12 weeks between submitting and acceptance. So Plural, I think, shopped it around. So Plural reached out to some of our colleagues and peers and they reviewed the proposal. Um, and Brian and I ended up running into one of the reviewers before we heard back from Plural. And she was like, I just think this is great and like everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> if anybody can do this, it's you too. Um, and then I think we heard back like maybe three weeks after that. So that was a little nerve wracking. For sure. That in between time. Um, so that was September, late September. Um, and Plural was like, can you get this done by December 31st? <laughs> and we were like, okay. Um, so that was a super quick turnaround. And they told us that we are the record holders for fastest book from proposal acceptance to submission. So cool. that's great. <laughs> Pretty excited about that. Um, <laughs> Get your crap nuggets award. Get my crap nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Can you make that? <laughs> I will. I will make a crap nuggets award. <laughs> just too little. Anyway. Um, so from there. <laughs> sorry. I'm uh, just going to derail the conversation. Sorry. <laughs> it's good. Um, so we submitted our manuscript, which was uh, roughly 300 pages. It was a lot of writing. Um, and co-authoring is a unique challenge to find... Um, an agreement on literary voice. Um, right. And I, mm. uh, Brian and I have very different literary voices. Um, so when I, when I read the book, like I can see which parts Brian wrote and which parts I wrote. Hopefully that's not as obvious to everyone else. <laughs> um, so after we submitted the whole manuscript, um, it went through a very fast editing process. Um, I think it was like two months uh, between them submitting edits to us, us submitting edits back to them. We just got our page proofs, which I have to submit today. Um, oh. Which is very exciting because it looks like a real book. Like it's yeah. all like everything's formatted and the images are there and it's very, very cool. It's very cool. Um, and then from there it'll go pr to production and, and then it'll be, it'll be out. Um, I think uh, it's been an interesting process for me to simultaneously work with a publisher and also through the self-publishing process. Um, I think the self-publishing, well, I know they're equally scary. Um, because no one ever tells you, like, this is good. Um, you just kind of have to assume that it's good because <laughs> people are still reading it. Um, 
But with self-publishing, um, it's a little more stressful because there's no one to fix things for you. Like you have to for figure sure. out all your formatting by yourself and figure right. out how the images are going to go and how big they'll be and what, what everything's going to look like kind of on your own. But at the same time, and again, this goes back to this idea of like independent, um, you get to decide, you get to make all those decisions. Whereas mm -hmm. in publishing with Plural, like we don't get to decide how big the images are or um, mm. in some cases where they fall within the paragraph or where they fall within like the page turn. Um, so yeah, so there definitely are advantages and disadvantages to both. And it's been really interesting to do that at the same time. That is very interesting. Yeah, because that is something that, um, you know, um, we think about a lot too with editing. Like that is, it's such an important valuable thing to have that sounding board, but it also is, it's exactly that. It's exactly how you said it. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna re <laughs> reinvent the wheel over here. Um, I want to, oh, sorry. Go what ahead. has been great, actually, is having Alexandra um, to, to, to give the manuscript to and be like, can you tell me what I did wrong? <laughs> mm -hmm. Taking a little longer than you probably want me no, to that's do. That's all right. So that's going, all right. Deep but that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's a good thing. <laughs> that's a good thing. We want it to be yeah. quality. Good. good. Yes, so, me too. <laughs> so I'm wondering um, what this book will have that the current trans singing bible does not like what have like mm. what sentences have you completed like what thoughts have you expanded on um so i think so the trans voice bible now um is really more focused on speech therapy right okay. on voice therapy so it talks a lot about um gosh it's just the basis for all the knowledge that goes forward um Every idea that's in that book is revolutionary. Every idea that's in that book is is pioneering and new. Um, and so now our job is to kind of take that information and make it into, turn it into a language that makes sense for us and for our clients, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the other book um, is very much um, surrounds like evidence-based practice and there's a lot of I guess sort of like, mm, I don't want to say medical, but um, formal language maybe. Um, and the Singing Teacher's Guide has some of that, has some of that sort of formalized language, but it, it's geared at a very different audience, right? So the Singing Teacher's Guide is geared at singing teachers um, who probably have less exposure to the medical world, who probably have less exposure to some of the academic journals and the, you know, the, the real science behind trans voice care. Um, so the, the language is a little different and the way we talk about it is a little different. Um, and One Weird Trick is even even more different from that. So One Weird Trick, because it's geared toward users, it's geared toward the students, um, has to be such that it's easy to understand that it's very accessible and bite-sized, mm -hmm. um, particularly because of the, the um, prevalence of DIY videos and DIY information, right? So it has to have the same feel as a DIY book right, right? Mm -hmm. um even though the concepts behind it are much more founded in science and much more founded in pedagogy and um practice. that ain't relatable <laughs> <laughs> that is very much because it's a hard thing to balance right because like you uh you recognize that you know something that i was kind of thinking about while you were talking is like when was the last time that pedagogy had something this new mm. Like that, they could explore and think about, um, and it's, but it's also like the things that are new um, are very much uh, their own format, and sometimes that format is 
oh, I'm really trying to think of how to put this because I don't want to say like uneducated because that's wrong and like elitist sounding, but you, it's it's not rooted in tradition sometimes, yep. and so it's you know it's an interesting thought of coming from being a person that both recognizes the uh, extreme value to that non-traditional space, but also having such an appreciation for that tradition. Um, yeah, I mean, is that about, like, how how's that balance going for you? <laughs> I mean, it's daily. Yep. Right, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think contemporary commercial music is kind of maybe parallel but much more advanced. For it's sure. like working that its way sense. in, right? Yeah. Um, and I think kind of bridges that gap between um, the medical world and the performance world because so much of CCM is, is way more about um, practical application performance mm -hmm. than um, pedagogical concerns or theory, right? Mm -hmm. um, and has a much shorter history than classical singing. Um, and yeah, unless I guess tradition around it. Well, and I just to kind of like make this about me. The thing that I always <laughs> think about is um, there's a like thinking about the magazine industry and thinking about the journalism industry right now is super interesting because like the I think the um, the folks that I think about a lot as far as like formatting is concerned is um, Complex Magazine actually because they do a lot of like YouTube content. Mm. And they also but they had a print magazine. And they have covers, and they do, they do all of the things that you think of a traditional magazine, but now they're, like, living in, like, oh, we should be making podcasts. And, of course, there are other magazines that do this, that are in this same thing, but it's, it's very much an interesting thought to find these, for lack of a word, better word, industries that, um, that are li having to live in that, in that kind of um, middle ground. And it's very much where publishing is right now. Um, like going from the world of door-to-door -door subscription mm -hmm. sales and like magazine, you know, subscription, middle making middle schoolers sell magazines <laughs> and stuff like that, up to now where it's like, like if you don't have a YouTube channel, you're not right. gonna and throw better throw some money at Facebook and hope yeah. that somebody sees it. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, we're projecting. We should, talk about, <laughs> we should. We have a few minutes left. We should ask about literally anything else. Um, um, I'm wondering. So when, let's say, like lesson one mm -hmm. with a trans client, where do you start? Like, what's what's the what's the first conversation that you have? I think it's the same with any student. Is mm -hmm. Tell me about your voice. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about your voice? What is your voice? What do you wish it were? Mm -hmm. If you could give it a name, what would it be? If it looked like something, what would it look like? I mean, <laughs> like, it's just very... I might have slightly different questions, but yeah, that's, but a, that's, general, right. that's a general thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you, you answer that, because that's me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a little bit of... Um, Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your voice. Tell me about um, why you're here, and, and, and what can I do for you? Right? What brought you in the door? And, and tell me what I can do for you. And if you, if you hold space for somebody, they're going to have an answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, even if the first answer is, I don't know. Um, if, they, if they think on it, they're going to have an answer. And that's what helps guide the lessons, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's student-driven, and we go back and forth. And mm -hmm. we let them tell us what they want and what they need. And then we say, OK, here's how, here's how we can get you there. And I think sometimes. Um, and again, this is the same, I think, for any voice student who comes in. There's, there's this discussion around the word should and, mm -hmm. and things like supposed to. So 
yeah. for some of our trans femme speech clients, um, sometimes the conversation will go, you know, tell me about your voice. Um, and the answer might be like, I feel fine about my voice, but no one else does. Mm. Um, I feel fine about my voice, but I get misgendered all the time mm-hmm. because of my voice. So then the discussion becomes, you know, how much of this voice work will be for you and how much of it will be so you can move through the world comfortably. Um, and that's a discussion that I think we have all the time, mm-hmm. all the time with everybody um, around, you know, for whom is this voice work? Is it for you? Is it for someone else? Is it for the world around you? Like which parts of it, which parts of it are most comfortable to take ownership over now and where are we going? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's tricky. Yeah. Wow. I, I have kind of like a, like mother earthy, like, you know, question for you, <laughs> but like, what's something that like, if you could just like scream this from the mountaintops for everyone to hear about like working with trans folks and like working within this community, like what's, what's like the one thing that you wish that you could just like tell everybody you meet, like stop strangers on the street and say. Your gender is valid. You are valid. Oh. Yeah. Your voice okay. as an expression of your gender is valid. Yeah. Already. Without changing anything. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming sometimes it's very obvious like mentioning where folks can find your book to pre-order it <laughs> um, we love hearing uh, shout outs to other folks that are doing dope work um, as mm. well as any self care things books, movies, TV shows, anything like that mm. any or either of those things or none of those things is what this can, this space can Great. Be. Well, you can find us, The Voice Lab, at thevoicelabinc.com. We're also on Facebook and sort of on Instagram. This one's not as active. But yeah, you can find us on the social medias. You can find us on the web. Um, you can find more about our One Weird Trick client or teacher training on there. Uh, at thevoicelabinc.com slash one weird trick. There you go. Um, shout outs. You talked about representation and visibility, and I meant to come back to this. I think it's really important to amplify trans voices, right? So there are some really great classical and operatic singers Mm -hmm. out there. Brianna Sinclair, Lucia Lucas, Holden Madagame um, are doing amazing, amazing work. And there are trans choirs all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, Resonate is the trans choir in Chicago, um, which I'm interim conducting until we find somebody who's like doing a better job. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So the Resonate voice or the Resonate site is resonatevoice.org, and you can go in and. send us a contact form. Um, the way we think about it is if you think you belong with us, you do. There's no audition. You can just walk in and start singing with us because it's that's what the space is. Um, mm-hmm. Shout out again, I guess, to Live Oak. Um, yeah. They do amazing work and Howard Brown and um, yeah. all those places. So right, right. Let's, let's all love each other. Oh. <laughs> and love your voice. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways you can do that. The first is to head to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles there as well as all of our podcast episodes. Um, otherwise, you can keep up with us on the old social media. On Facebook, we have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board. 
board. Um, I don't know how easy that is to find, but you'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you can find our Facebook page. Uh, Scopy Magazine is what it's called. Uh, on iTunes, we are under Scopy Radio. On uh, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play. No, that's not right. In- Sorry, this is new. Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> Tumblr, Radio Public. Period. I, I period. don't think Radio Public is. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it is under Scopy Mag, and we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our donate section. There are a couple ways that you can give. First of all, you can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. Otherwise, for as little as $5 a month, you can support our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media. Uh, If you're interested in advertising opportunities or in our affiliate program, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So, give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.